over the last several months, we've been studying the book of Ephesians in a very, very exhaustive manner, or at least as, as exhaustive as I can, can make it. And, uh, but in order that we may grow in knowledge and understanding of this great epistle, it's been eye-opening and an eye-opening study for me, and I've had to change the way I viewed a lot of things about this epistle in the past because by, the, by studying the way that we have, I've been enlightened in several areas of doctrine, several areas. But that's a good thing. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a sleeper, and I don't want to be caught sleeping when it comes to the Scriptures. I want to get it right. I want to do my part in trying to search out the truth. When we teach here in this assembly, it's our job, it's our job to exhort the brethren. That's what we're up here to do. It's not suitable just to get up here and to tell jokes and to give you some kind of spiritual high full of cliches and feel-good motivational speeches. That's not our job. It's our job to be meek, to be gentle, to be merciful, to be educated in what we teach and then forward the message on to you so that you can read, study behind us, be a Berean like you're supposed to be, see that what we say is so, and then learn to walk in those things. And if we're not right in what we teach, then, then, we, need to be, then we need to be corrected. And uh, you can do that by private private speech afterwards. But if, but if you find something wrong with something we say or you've got a you got a different understanding on it, bring it to our attention. We'd be glad to look at it with you and help you, or you can help us. We're, we're, uh, we should be humble enough to receive what you have to say and, and uh, look, at it, look at it as grown-ups and Christians all in search of the truth. So tonight, that's kind of what I want to talk to you about. How do we become a Yahweh man? How do we do that? How do we become a man or a woman of Yahweh? How do we walk as we're supposed to? What is our calling and what is expected of us as followers of our Lord? As a member of any organization, uh, club, family, or church, there are expectations of each member to fulfill a certain duty. Whatever the member's part is, he's expected to perform that part at his best of his or her ability. For example, I used to be a fireman. While I was a fireman, there were certain criteria that was required of me in order to perform my job and to complete a certain task that was given to me. There were guidelines that I had to follow. There was a physical shape that I had to maintain in order to perform the job. If you look at me now, you can tell I don't work at the fire department anymore. And, uh, but at one time, I was in shape, believe it or not. Round is a shape, is what the doctor said, so uh, I'm going with that one for a little while. But there was rules. There were, there were rules that had to be followed. There were guidelines, expectations of us that had to be met. Well, it's no different in the Christian walk. There are guidelines, expectations, certain criteria that must be met as a Christian. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. This is not a topical sermon necessarily. However, the general theme throughout the remaining three chapters of Ephesians covers many topics, and it's basically about how a Christian should live after becoming a Christian. So let's read the first six verses of the chapter of chapter four, and then we'll get into it, and I'll start to unfold this wonderful epistle that Paul has wrote to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1, it says, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Elohim and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. 
Now, there's a ton to be discussed and learned in these verses, but today we'll only cover the first three verses. In verse 1, we find that age-old word, therefore. Again, we know what it's there for. It's there for us to go back and look at the previous verses that led up to the word, therefore, so we might know what the next verses are there for. That's a lot of therefores, but it's important that we understand it. However, in this case, I don't think it's speaking of the immediate previous seven verses that were Paul's prayers for the Ephesians, but rather verses 2 through 13 of the third chapter of Ephesians. See, verses 2 through 13 explain the servanthood of Paul as a prisoner of Christ. Verse 1 of chapter 3 says, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Yeshua on behalf of you Gentiles. Then Paul goes on to speak of his ministry, the grace that was given to him, the mysteries that were revealed to him, and the afflictions that had been brought on him for the sake of the Gentiles' salvation. So in verse 1 of chapter 4, when Paul says, Therefore, those are the 12 verses that Paul's speaking of. Because remember, the end of chapter 3 was Paul's prayers for spiritual power for the ones he was praying for. To verify this thought, Paul even follows up, therefore, with a, with a prisoner in the Lord. In verse 1, he reiterates the fact that he's still a prisoner. He's stressing the fact, he's stressing the fact that for his benefit, please listen to these words. Please do as I say. That's what Paul's doing. He's starting to beg a little bit here. In other words, I have suffered for your sake so that the glory of Yahweh may be manifest in you. Please hear me. That's what, that's what Paul's cry is right here. Please hear me. Paul, to some degree, is a beggar. And brothers and sisters, this is common throughout the letters of Paul. He begs a lot. He's so concerned with the salvation of souls that he, that he literally begs them to listen. You can find this all throughout the scriptures. Where has that ministry gone? Where, what have we done as saints to lose that ministry? When did becoming a Christian cancel out the compassion for those who are lost? That was a big deal when I was a kid. When I was a kid, I went to a Baptist church, and maybe it's just stronger in a Baptist church. I don't know why, but, but, uh, or why it would be. But when I was a kid... Man, it was all about salvation, salvation, salvation. I'm not saying that's what all the scriptures are about by any means. It's not all about salvation. However, lost souls should be a target of ours. We should be concerned with the souls of other men or other people or children, women. It doesn't matter. So um, where's, where's that gone? Where do, where do we lose that? When do we stop caring about the salvation for lost souls? It's a common theme throughout all Paul's writings, throughout all the Gospels, throughout the book of Acts. And it's still here in the book of Ephesians. Paul's practically begging the Gentiles, saying, I urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received. I urge you. It's not, that's a, the word urge right there, it means I, I'm, I'm begging for you to do it. I, I really need you to do this. Listen to me. Hear me out. See, there's a standard, folks, by which Christians should walk. And it's detrimental that we find it and that we follow it. If we don't do, if, if we don't, we will be excommunicated from the church. This is biblical. We see it all through the Old Testament. If someone defiled themselves, what happened to them? They were put away. They were cut off. That's what happened to them. Well, it's no different in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells the church members not to judge among the people inside the church. But if you find someone who doesn't walk worthy, anyone who bears the name who is sexual, immoral, or greedy, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, 
to put them away so that Yahweh can judge them outside the church. In 2 Thessalonians, Paul tells Timothy that if a brother walks disorderly and irresponsibly, that they shouldn't communicate with him. In other words, put him away. See, folks, Yahweh has it that way for a reason. It's, it's not by happenstance. He told Israel not to mix with the nations for a reason. It was so that they wouldn't be swayed to the, the other nations' foreign ways. It's the same here. We must walk worthy of our calling. So what does it mean? I can't stand it when a preacher says we shouldn't sin, but he doesn't tell you what, what, what sin is. I can't stand it. I don't like it at all. It's a too loose of a statement. And so we need to be specific. Let's be specific here. How do we walk worthy of our calling? And what exactly is our calling? Well, to start with, let's see what calling Paul's talking about. Remember in the last three chapters, Paul has been talking to the lost Gentiles who have been called into the faith by the grace of Yahweh. I don't see the context changing here, so I believe that's it. I believe that that's the calling that he's talking about. It's not talking about a calling to preach or a calling to prophesy or a calling to perform the spiritual gift that you've been given. All of those are great callings, but this is simply referring to the calling to be a saint. That's what he's saying to do. To exhibit a certain nature about yourself that resembles the life of Christ. Now, Paul's going to explain this walk in some details in the next three chapters in Ephesians, but for right now, we can't... We can get a jump on things just by looking at the life of Christ. Now, I know that in Torah-keeping groups, churches around the world, our mind goes straight to the law right here. When you say walk the walk, somebody thinks, man, I've got to be obedient in the commandments and all that kind of stuff. And that's great. That's great. We hear the word walk, and we start thinking about law-keeping. And trust me, I'm all about law-keeping. I believe in it. I love it. And don't get me wrong. But I don't think that law-keeping is in mind. Right here. It's not in view. So we're to walk worthy of the calling we've received. That calling, if I'm right, is the calling to the family of Yahweh. So how do we walk worthy of that calling? Let's look at verse 2. It says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love, that's how we are to walk worthy of the calling. Paul says here, Look, you are now adopted sons and daughters into the family of Yahweh. That means we are followers of Christ. We are ministers of Yahweh's word. We are faithful servants. We are worshipers of the Most High. We have been delivered from our bondage and our sins. And so how do we portray this walk? How do we become the light of the world that would shine a light to all other nations, to all other people? How do we portray the people that we have become? How might someone see the work that Yahweh has done in us? Paul says we do it with all humility and gentleness and patience, accepting one another in love. This is the whole Christian walk. It's literally just becoming what you already are. That's what, that's what the Christian walk is. You're a Christian, becoming that Christian, that's the walk. But in order to become what we are, we must do it with humility. And this is hard, guys. Paul has just told us who we are in the first three chapters of this epistle. If you've been paying attention... It's just blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing. Lift you up, lift you up, lift you up. You've been chosen. You've been foreknown, all those kind of things. We've been told that we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. He made us to be blameless in love. He predestined us. He adopted us. He made us the praise of his glory. 
He accepted us in his beloved son. He redeemed us from our sins. He's given us wisdom. He's made known to us the mystery of his will. He's filled us with his Holy Spirit. He's given us resurrection power. He's made us alive and seated us with him in the heavens. He removed us far away and brought from far away and brought us near. He made us alive in Christ and allowed us to know the Messiah's love. And he has filled us with all the fullness of Yahweh. These are all the things we have been learning from Paul in the first three chapters. And Paul says, I want you to walk worthy of that calling and do it humbly. Well, what the heck, Paul? You can't give me a gift like that and then tell me to be humble. That's impossible. That's like telling Superman you can't fly, you know, or Spider-Man not to weave a weave. I'm a weave a web. This is going to be impossible. That's what I'm thinking. Paul set me up to fail, man. He built me up for three chapters, got me on fire, and then he threw ice on me. That's just the way it is. With great power comes great responsibility. When you've been, when you've been blessed with gifts like that, then there's a, there's a great responsibility that comes with it. It's easy to get caught up in all the, that Yahweh has done for you and then forget that it was Yahweh that did it for you. It's real easy to do that. And so many times we see someone get on fire for Yahweh and they're, they're just all about service, thankfulness, and love, and so forth. And that lasts for a little while. And then they realize that, you know, they're not where they, they once were and they've, they've been pulled from there. And maybe it hadn't been long enough time yet for them to forget their past and they're still kind of humble. But then enough time goes by and they lose sight of their past. And that's not always a bad thing, but in some cases, they forget how lost they were when Yahweh saved them. You forget just how desperate you were, just how lost you were when Yahweh saved them. And the next thing you know, every statement that they say starts with I. I did this. I did that. I do this. I walk this way. I practice this law. I keep this day. It all, it all starts with I. I do this. I do that. Well, I'm reminded of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke chapter 18. Remember what the Pharisee said? I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. I, I, I. What happened to the, with the uh, tax collector? Beat his chest, bowed his head. He says, forgive me. Forgive me, a sinner. Well, I think that's common for all people. We see how blessed we are. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, but then we get prideful. We start feeling like we've accomplished something on our own. We tend to forget that without Yahweh's grace and mercy in our lives, we would still be lost. So Paul says, walk worthy of your calling, but do it with humility. In other words, remember where that, where that calling come from, and don't boast in yourself. Peter says in 1 Peter in chapter 2 and verse 16, as Yahweh's slaves live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a way to conceal evil. So folks, stay humble. As hard as it may be, stay humble. Remember that everything you've been given is a gift from Almighty Yahweh and not of yourself. Our lives should resemble that of Yahweh's own son. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6 says, the one who says he remains in him should Walk just as he walked. How did he walk? Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and I'm lowly of heart. Right? Matthew 11. Matthew taught on it last night. The whole time he was teaching, I'm thinking, you're preaching my sermon tomorrow. You need to quit. You need to quit. I'm not going to have anything to say. 
Such treasures we have received. Oh, how richly we have been blessed, but humble we must stay. Let's talk about gentleness for a minute. I feel like I'm echoing Matthew from last night, but he, but he nailed it. He nailed it. In the same way that Yeshua would instruct his disciples in gentleness and humility, that's the same way we should walk. After all, we're supposed to be like him. Folks, even if we're walking the new walk and someone comes along and denounces your Christian life, then be gentle. Be gentle with them. Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16, it says that if we're gentle and treat people with respect, respect, that those who rise up against us will be put to shame. Be gentle. And it's true. By being kind and gentle to someone who, ha- who is harsh, it's like heaping fiery coals on top of their head. You just, you just treat them with kindness. And when you can't treat them with kindness no more, you treat them with some more kindness. You just keep finding it. Keep finding it. And look, brothers and sisters, we don't have anything to brag about anyway. We don't have nothing to boast in. We were given all that we have from a spiritual standpoint. Not one of us in here has ever earned any merit or any favor with Almighty Yahweh. You've not earned any of that. You've not done anything that just that caused him to save you. That's not, it, it didn't happen. All the blessings that are spoken about in the first three chapters of this epistle are all attributes given by Yahweh, every single one of them. You were foreknown by him. You were chosen by him. You were found by him. You were snatched by him, sanctified by him. You were justified by him. And let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. When you're glorified, it will be by him, not by you. All the good and perfect things are from above. We're given these things as a gift from Yahweh, not of ourselves. So live lowly, walk humbly, stay gentle like our Messiah when you shine your light to other men. So how do we walk worthy of the calling that we've received? That's been the question. Paul says with humility and gentleness, which we just discussed. But next, Paul also says to do it with patience, accepting one another in love. Patience, what a wonderful attribute of the Spirit. How is it that when we witness to someone about our faith, we forget patience altogether? We want in, uh, those immediate results. It's like Internet or something like that. We talk to somebody and we want them saved. Hey, I just shared the gospel with you. You're not saved. You know what I mean? We want them to see all that we see, understand all that we have knowledge of, stuff that's taken you 15, 20 years to gain. You want somebody, you want to talk to somebody, and the next thing you know, you want them on the same page that you are. You want them to fall in line like little ducks and do as, just do as you recommend. And when someone don't do it, we give up. Patience goes right out the window. We might say, well, he's just not saved, or he's a heathen. There's no hope for him. Bless his heart. You know, things like that. Well, what if Yahweh did that with you? What if, what if Yahweh was, was that quick with you? He'd give you one shot at it. One shot at it. Mess with you one time. Said, hey, you didn't take it. It's over with. What if Yahweh did that with you? What if he didn't have patience with us? The Bible says that he's long-suffering towards us. And so should we be towards other people. That's the way we should be. Just because someone doesn't cease see things the same way you do doesn't necessarily make them wrong they may just not have the knowledge that you have yet they may not have got that far yet and it's very possible that you're wrong that 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 tends to be the case more often than not with me when i share something with somebody i'm so dogmatic about 90 percent of the time it comes back to bite me in the tail i get dogmatic about it i want to get in somebody's face about it and tell them all about something and two years later i get Knocked on the head and shown that, hey, that all that which I was trying to explain to somebody was hogwash anyway. 
and uh, kind of glad that they didn't listen because I was wrong. It's not always the case, and sometimes you'll speak to somebody and try to witness to somebody, and they just, they're not, they're not interested, and that's okay. That's okay that they're not interested. Maybe, maybe they don't want to hear it right now. Give them time. Give them time. Is it not Yahweh's job to give the increase anyway? Isn't it Yahweh's job? Paul said that he planted and Apollos watered, but it was Yahweh that gave the increase. By us not being patient, I would hate to know that I tore up a plant that someone had planted that I was supposed to water, but instead of watering because I couldn't see immediate fruit, I chopped the tree down. Do you know there's a reason that we don't eat from the tree until the fifth year? There's a reason for that. The biggest reason is because most of the time it don't produce fruit. It doesn't produce fruit until the fifth year. Patience is what is required for a tree to produce good fruit, and it's the same with people. If we're not patient with people, then we're not watering in order to allow Yahweh to give the increase. We want to go drop a seed in the ground, and tomorrow we want to harvest a whole vineyard full of fruit. Well, it doesn't work like that. That's not the way it works in agriculture, and that's not the way it works in sanctification or spiritual growth. That's not the way it works. People don't grow overnight. Patience is a virtue, brothers and sisters, and Paul's telling us here to walk worthy of the calling we have received and do so with patience for our fellow brother. And then Paul goes on to say, accepting one another in love. Man, we could all work on this one a little bit, couldn't we? I bet everyone in here could look around and find somebody that gets on your nerves just a little bit. All of you are looking at me right now. (laughs) Morgan, you quit looking around. Don't try to find somebody. (laughs) But it's true. It's hard to accept one another in, in any family or organization. And yes, also in the church. But just because that's the way it is doesn't mean that's the way it should be. That doesn't mean it's the way it should be. In context here, Paul's telling the Ephesians to not do what has been done to you. That's his point. The Gentiles have been segregated and separated from the way of life known to all the Judites for a long, long time. But Yahweh's drawn those who were far away and brought them near and made one new man from two. Well, this all started... Because the Gentiles were outcasts and the Judites had not accepted them in love. Paul's reminding them that, look, if you're going to walk this walk, then you can't be like the ones that, you can't treat people like the way they treated you. Don't get prideful. Don't don't assume you've arrived. Don't get to a place where you can't look at somebody else and welcome them in with patience, humility, gentleness, and love. Because that's the way you've been treated this whole time. Make sure you accept others in the faith. And not just... Accept them and allow them to come into your synagogue, but rather accept them in love. That means in service, folks. We talked about that a couple sermons ago. Love is a love is a sacrifice. Love is a service. So when you accept somebody in love, then you accept them in service. I shouldn't do any more for John than I do for Frankie. I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't serve Rocket differently than I serve Matthew. I should accept them both with love. There shouldn't be separation within the body. We should overlook the infirmities of one another. We should forgive wrongdoings. And we should sympathize with each other during our struggles and our stressful situations in life. We should accept one another in love. Folks, this is what it takes to be a man or a woman of Yahweh. We must conform to the image of Christ if we want to walk the walk. We must be humble, gentle, patient, and accept one another in love. 
Let's look at verse 3. Then Paul says, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. Oh, man, that'll preach. That will preach. I could spend eight days on, the, on this verse alone, but, uh, and I might would try it, but I'm not sure the oil would hold out. So maybe some of you got that one. Uh, Paul here makes a point to use the word diligently. That means to stay steadfast, to try hard, to give it all you've got, to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now, I would say that's probably one of the hardest things that a true Bible student ever tries to do, and I'm probably going to step on some toes right here, and I'm not, I'm not trying to, but pull them up underneath the pew if you don't want them to step down. Because, <laughs> because what happens is the more you study and the more knowledge you get and the more doctrine you understand, the more dogmatic and the more judgmental you become. See, knowledge puffeth up. That's what happens. So we got all this understanding, and that's great because that's what we're supposed to get. Of all things, get understanding, right? Book of James. Of all things, get understanding. That's what we're supposed to get. But in the process of getting that knowledge, we forget where we came from. It's real easy to forget that. We forget that we're all the same in Christ. That no one has a higher position and all are inferior to the perfect one. All of us are. So we forget all that. And before you know it, we start to separate. Because one believes this and one believes that. And it's not good enough just to disagree. But we start putting judgments on our disagreements. We think, well, if you don't see it like this, then you can't be saved. And before you know it, the unity of the church is demolished. And there are so many diverse groups around the world that you can't count them all. That's not the idea, guys. That's not the idea. The idea is not diversity, it's unity. Because after all, who wants to belong to something where someone condemns them for not seeing things the same way that they do. I don't. But that's how division happens. And I think that's why Paul says, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit, not diligently keeping the unity of doctrine. He says to keep the unity of the Spirit. See, the Spirit is one Spirit, as it says in verse 4. We'll get into more, more of that the next time I teach. But the Spirit is one Spirit. Not many spirits, not many different views, not many different understandings. One spirit. The spirit of Yahweh is not torn into pieces and passed out amongst believers where some get a little of this and some get a little of that and so that the church is divided and different. That's not the idea. But rather, it's right the opposite. Instead of diversity, there's supposed to be unity. If we're all filled with the same spirit, then we should all walk in one accord. What happened to the disciples? They all come in one accord. I'm not talking about the car. They come in one accord. You couldn't put all 12 of them in, a car, in an accord. I've rode in one before. So we should all be peaceful. We should all be patient. We should all be humble. We should all accept one another in love and so forth and so on. So if we understand Yahweh's spirit, then we'll walk as Yeshua walked, the one, the one who was filled with Yahweh's spirit. Now, I know that's hard to do. Unity's hard to keep, but Paul tells us that that's the way, that's the way we stay in unity of the Spirit is the peace that binds us. I want you to ask yourself, what is the peace that binds each one of us? What is it that we all have in common? No matter what doctrinal differences we may have, what unifies the body of Christ? It's the love of Yahweh, saints. Not your love for Yahweh. It's Yahweh's love for you. It's because of His love that, we, that He had for us that we are ever even called Christians. In verse 17 of the third chapter, Paul says that we are established in love. That's how we are founded. That's how the church is founded. 
established, if you will. It's because of Yahweh's love that there's even a church at all. That's the common bond that we all share. We are all loved by Yahweh. If Yahweh can love us all, no matter what we are, who we are, where we come from, or what our past is, don't you think that we should be able to love one another? If we're to keep the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us, then we have to learn to be patient, humble, gentle, and especially accepting one another in love. In closing, remember this. It was Yahweh's unfailing love and sacrifice that allows us to be part of his family. It was his love, his sacrifice. Not yours, not your love for him, nothing you did. You didn't make the sacrifice, he made it for you. If Yahweh allows someone into his family, it's not because of anything that they did, but rather because he was merciful towards that person. And folks, if they're good enough for Yahweh, the most holy thing that's ever stepped foot on earth or heaven, he created it all for crying out loud. If they're good enough for him, don't you think they ought to be good enough for you? When somebody walks in this church, we shouldn't look at them and say, man, I don't know if I want to sit by him today. We shouldn't be negative towards anybody that speaks. We shouldn't view somebody in a way that's inferior to anybody else in this church. We should love them all the same. And we should love them in, in, in this way. We should love them because Yahweh loves them. And if Yahweh loves them, he's my brother and he's my sister. I don't know about you guys, and uh, I've got a brother and a sister. I love both of them. And I don't love either one of them any more than I love the other one. I can tolerate one of them better than I can tolerate the other one, but I don't love them anymore. You know? If Yahweh loves them and they're part of his family, I didn't have a right to be part of Yahweh's family, no more than the next man. Yahweh, Yahweh allowed me to be part of his family. He chose me. He foreknew me. He, he, he justified me through the blood of his own son. And one day he's going he's gonna to bring me into his kingdom. And I'm going to have to sit beside these people in this church right here. I'm going to have to like all of you, and I'm going to have to love all of you. Might as well get plenty of practice of it now. So, uh, so, so love. Love without stopping. When I teach next time, we'll get a little more into the unity of the church by the grace of Yahweh and the gift of, of Yeshua. I told you I could teach for eight days on that one verse, so this was just sermon number one in a 44-part series of the unity of the Spirit. So, I'm just kidding. I'm teasing, but we will talk more about the unity the next time I teach. But until then, let's work on that walk in that walk. Work on it with humility, gentleness, patience, accepting one another in love, and keeping the unity of the Spirit in the church with a peace that binds us. It's real easy to wear tassels and grow your beard out. It's not hard. It's not hard at all. It's real easy to keep the dietary laws. It's easy to keep the Sabbath day. Those are easy commands to keep. It's real hard to love another person. It's real hard to be gentle, and it's real hard to be humble and practice humility. Those inner things right there, they're a whole lot tougher than tying these tassels on. I can do that in 10 seconds. Don't think nothing else about it the rest of the day unless somebody grabs them or I touch them or something like that. No problem. No problem. I can do all that. And, I, and I'm all for law keeping, but there's a lot more to law keeping than just, than just the physical outward things. There's a lot of it right here. So let's work on that. Let's walk that walk. Let's, let's become men and women of Yahweh. All right, let's close. Yahweh, Father, we thank you this day for your mercy. Thank you for your blessing. Father, I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit that causes all of us to desire a righteous way to be with you. Father, I just pray that you grant us peace and, and uh, 
Help us out. Father, I pray that you would give us a spirit of humility and gentleness and love for one another, always causing us to be patient and kind to other people. Father, we, we can try at this all we want to, but without your help, we won't master it. So, Father, I just lift you up today. We're so thankful for your only begotten Son. We give him praise, give him glory. He is the, he is the benefactor for all of us. And, Father, we're thankful for that. Yahweh, we love you. We ask all this in his holy and precious name.